Good morning, Gold Avenue Church. This is Pastor Jalisa, and I'm so eager to be sharing the word with you all once again. Today we'll be continuing in our series that we've called The Blessed Hope. Over the last several weeks, Pastor Dave has walked us through Jesus' statements regarding the end times and his return. And I don't know about you, but I've learned so much through these sermons. I've been encouraged and challenged, and I've been giving lots of thought as to how to respond to them. And so as we continue today, we're going to be shifting a little bit, and we'll be moving towards what it looks like to live watchful lives in preparation for the return of our King. And so today, we're going back into the book of Matthew, and I'll be reading from Matthew 24, verses 36 to 51. But before we read... Let's pray. Father, we bless you for this time. Father, we bless you um, for your promise that you are with us. Lord, we bless you for your word. And Lord, we ask that you would um, open our ears this morning to hear the words that you have. Holy Spirit, I pray for an anointing over the preaching of your word and an anointing over the ears of all who hear. We love you, Lord. Amen. So friends, from Matthew 24, verses 36 to 51. But about that day or hour, no one knows not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have left his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food? At the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. 
He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. When I was a little girl, I was not a very tidy child. That might not be a surprise to some of you. (laughs) My mom often referred to me as her creative child, and she knew that whenever her scissors or some tape or her glue gun was missing, I probably had it stashed somewhere. And I remember one particular day, I think I was maybe six or seven, and I was playing in my room, surrounded, as usual, by a mountain of dolls, stuffed animals, clothes, tape, paper, staples, and yarn. I was in the middle of putting some grand creation together, and my mom popped her head into my bedroom. After one look at the state of things, she said, Joyce, I'm coming back in an hour, and this room needs to be clean when I get back. I was old enough to read the clock in my room, and so I knew how long I had before she would be back, and and I knew that an hour was quite a long time. So I slowly put the finishing touches on my creation, and I found a good safe spot for it. And then I slowly started to sort through that mountain of stuff. I rolled up a ball of yarn, and I tossed it in my craft bin, and then I picked up a couple stuffed animals to throw into my toy box. And while I was shifting around to make sure that the lid on that box would close again, I found a treasure. Just a couple layers down, I found my pink and purple caboodle with the heart-shaped clasp. And I hope some of you remember what that is. But basically, it's a little storage box with all kinds of compartments, kind of like a little girly tackle box. But I'd stuffed mine full of beads and ribbons and buttons and sequins and all kinds of dainty things that my six-year-old self just went wild for. I yanked the caboodle out. I climbed on my bed and I opened up all the little compartments and started to dig through and examine all of my treasures. It seemed as if I'd only blinked and I heard my mom's footsteps coming down the hallway. I glanced at the clock. How had an hour already passed? My stomach clenched up and my heart started to race and I launched off my bed, fell to my knees, and started using my arms to literally scrape the elements of my mess under the bed, hoping that my mom wouldn't notice that I hadn't done what she'd asked. I'm sure the look on my face when she walked in the room mid-scrape was one of deep regret. I don't remember what my punishment was that day, and so I'm certain it wasn't traumatic. It was probably an extended timeout or a loss of privilege until my room was clean. But as I read the passage for this message, I was reminded of that clenched stomach, racing heart, hide-my-mess feeling that I'd had that day. It's probably a minimal fraction of what the wicked servant in our text experienced when his master finally walked through the door. When the master had left, he'd given very clear instructions. Feed your fellow servants while I'm away and do it at the appointed times. And if you do what I ask, there will be reward. I will put you in charge of my possessions. But as the days went by and the master still wasn't home, 
the servant got distracted. It says, he said to himself, my master is a long way gone or a long time away. Literally translated, the servant said in his heart, the master is away for a long time. So he begins to fight with and even beat his fellow servants that he'd been charged to care for. He wastes his days eating and in a drunken stupor. As one commentator put it, the evil servant who was not ready for his master's return sinned in at least three ways. One, he was not about the business that the master left for him. Two, he fought with and mistreated his fellow servants. Three, he gave himself to the pleasures of the world instead of serving his master. And so the master came home to find his servant disobedient and unprepared. And instead of the promised reward, there was severe punishment. The servant didn't know when his master was returning, but he knew the terms. He knew what was expected of him as he waited, and he hadn't obeyed. It's interesting that this parable comes on the heels of this reference to how the end days will be like the days of Noah. We read at the beginning of our passage that the hour will be unknown, that people will continue eating and drinking and marrying until the Son of Man appears, just as they had with the flood. Jesus says that when he returns, men and women will be working alongside one another, and one will be taken while the other is left. Now that can be really scary to think about. I remember being really afraid about this passage. And there are some that have used this passage to point to some sort of Kirk Cameron left behind style surprise rapture, where suddenly those who have been faithful followers of Jesus will simply get zapped away leaving the rest behind. But this is inconsistent with what Jesus said just a few verses earlier and where we see elsewhere in scripture. We read a couple weeks ago in Matthew 24, 29, where Jesus says the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. It doesn't sound like a surprise. (laughs) These would be really hard things to miss. Shaking Falling stars, the darkening of the sun and the disappearance of the moon. Angels with trumpets coming to gather the elect. Later on, Paul refers to this moment in time in First Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 4.16 where he says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are all still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
Jesus and Paul are drawing on an ancient custom where when a dignitary or an official or important person would come to visit a town, a group of people who represent that town would come out to meet said official a ways off, and then together they would usher him into the town to meet everyone else. This is the picture that we see in the servants working side by side, where one is swept up and the other remains. The problem here isn't some terrible surprise or that will be completely caught off guard by Jesus' arrival, but rather that some will have kept watch and stayed obedient and as such will be gathered together by the angels and brought to Jesus and join in ushering in his coming. While others who were disobedient and who did not stay watchful will be surprised will not be ready, and will not be gathered up. Much like six-year-old me huddled on my bed digging through my caboodle instead of cleaning, the problem here is not complete surprise. The problem here is disobedience to the master's orders and a lack of diligent watchfulness. Now the servant in this parable is pretty malicious and even audacious with his disobedience. He beats people and wastes his days drinking. Many of us may not be beating our neighbors or wasting our days away, but if we're honest, obedience to our master's orders and watchfulness for his arrival aren't exactly always our first priorities. And in many cases, these don't even seem to be the church's first priorities. When Jesus left this earth, he gave very clear orders as to what he's expecting us to do until he comes again. We read in Matthew 28 that just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he turned to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Our Master, who ascended, but who is with us through his Spirit, has given us specific instructions to fulfill up until the end of the age. Make disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. Teach them to be disciples who even obey this command and make other disciples. Inherent in this command is the command to be obedient to the life of righteousness that Jesus calls us to throughout his word. If we come back to the sins of the wicked servant, in light of the orders given, how many apply to us? Are we really about the business that the master left for us? Are we guilty of fighting with or mistreating our fellow servants, brothers and sisters in Christ? Have we given ourselves to the pleasures of this world instead of serving our master with diligence? At this point, I think it's helpful to note 
that even disobedience doesn't always manifest so obviously or maliciously. As a little girl, I wasn't intentionally trying to be disobedient to my mom. I intended to do what she asked, eventually. I just decided that I'd do it when I wanted to do it, which ended up being too late. I got distracted by beautiful things that weren't bad things. They just weren't what I'd been asked to do. Sometimes disobedience looks like outright sin. Fighting and violence, whether physical or verbal or any number of the desires of the flesh. But other times, disobedience simply looks like misplaced priorities, full calendars, worldly distractions, and elusive idols. All those things that we'd want to shove under our beds if we heard the trumpet sound and the earth began to shake. Sometimes a lack of watchfulness looks like outright sin too. Willfully wasting our days away with what we want to fill them with or an outright refusal to obey the truth that's been given. Other times a lack of watchfulness simply looks like apathy or an attitude that says, meh, I can do it later. There's always tomorrow, next year, next time. One of the most dangerous lies that we can believe is that there is no hurry. The truth is, tomorrow is not promised to us. Our master is coming back eventually and he is expecting us to be obedient while he's away. To be watchful and prepared to meet him in the clouds and join in ushering in the fullness of his kingdom. Can you imagine to receive the rewards that he's promised? These passages may be a little scary, but friends, they're actually tremendously good news. As Paul said in the Thessalonians passage that we read earlier, encourage one another with these words. This is an encouragement to us. We do not have to be the one surprised. We don't have to be the wicked servant or the man and woman left behind. We don't have to be robbed in the night because we're not prepared. Jesus is being very clear about his expectations so that we can be prepared. He's given us this day to look around at the floors and messes of our lives at what areas of disobedience need to be cleaned up. He's given us this hour to consider our priorities and whether or not they align with his commands whether or not we are actually about our master's business. He's given us this minute to remind us that he could be here at a moment's notice and that we are to be watchful and aware of the times that we're living in that Pastor Dave examined in the messages over the last couple of weeks. Friends, we know the terms and we know the expectations. We know what to watch for. I think about that day in my room and how much greater it would have been if I just listened to my mom right away. I could have easily put everything in its place and likely still would have had time to look at my treasure trove in my then clean room. I wouldn't have had to have that heart racing, stomach clenched, hide my mess moment when I heard her footsteps. 
Instead, I would have been able to proudly present my clean room to her and bask in her approval. And I'm willing to bet that I may have even gotten a sweet treat or some kind of reward out of the deal too. Just as the faithful servant was given clear expectations and then was rewarded for having been obedient, the Lord desires for his church to be obedient, to be watchful and ready so that the world will know, so that the world will be prepared, so that we can all be gathered up to him and rewarded on the day of his return. So as we come to a close, I want to return to the question that Pastor Dave opened this sermon series with and then ask a follow-up question. Are we looking for and hoping for the return of our king. And then, are we living in hopeful anticipation and preparation for his return? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this warning and reminder given in love. Father, we thank you that you give us clear expectations and that you tell us just how easy it can be for us to be distracted from the purposes that you've made us for. God, even in your caution and rebuke, you are so good and so loving. So Lord, just as David prayed in the Psalms that you would search his heart, Lord, we ask that you would search our hearts and our lives. Lord, would you point out ways in which we've been disobedient or have lacked watchfulness? Soften our hearts and give us courage and faith to resort our priorities. Lord, to do what you ask. Give us hearts that long for your return. Lord, we pray that you would do the same for your church across the world. Lord, stir her to be obedient to all that you commanded. Stir her to be a disciple-making, multiplying church. Stir her to be watchful and ready for your glorious return. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.